0: Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and then Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had who, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing but taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. (coughs) Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, and that every name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in earth and on heaven and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Matthew's going to uh, share some reflections with us, so we just pray for him now. Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet together and to stop and consider what it is that you would have us do. I pray for Matthew as he speaks that you would put the words into his mouth and I pray that you would open our ears, but more especially our hearts, to listen to what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Thank you, Kath. So my name is Matthew, I'm one of the ministers here and if I don't know you and especially well welcome to you. I just also felt during the start of the service that I should say Welcome to Cambon Church if you're not a Christian or a churchgoer, um, and all this is slightly strange to you, because you've come out of commitment and love of Duke and Alison and Ellen. You're equally welcome to be here, um, and the fact that you're here is, is humbling to us. So, so please do feel welcome, and please do feel that you can you know, join in or not join in as much as you want. Um, so I think this is important to say. Um, the other thing that's important to say is um, I've caught up on some of the amazing things that have been happening over the last two weeks in, in this church, uh, with Chris Duffett speaking last week, and um, Nigel speaking the week before, and it's been a joy to listen again online. Um, and this series kind of builds um, that way, and so if you've missed any Sundays, um, or if something that I say this morning interests you, then you might want to go onto our website, where all our talks are, and you can listen again. Um, please do catch up. Um, there is going to be um, prayer ministry this morning um, uh, after, during the songs after the um, talk, um, which we're going to try and do at the back, and there is now space available to do that. So um, if, you, if anything in the talk speaks into your life and you want someone to pray encouragement or to, or to pray comfort with you or whatever it might be for you, um, then please do um, go to the back during the songs after the um, talk, and we'll pray with you um, gladly. Shall we just um, just invite the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and minds as I as I speak? Come, Holy Spirit. You who the Father sent to guide us into all truth, come and move in our hearts and minds. Come and minister your love to us this morning. You who know us in the most intimate of ways, come. And move amongst us. There's that moment, isn't there, where uncharacteristically your mind is full, you're anxious about maybe the demands of work or issues in family life, particularly at the moment your children might be struggling at a transition point in school, perhaps. Um, you might be quaking under the amount of homework they're getting, which is I've been hearing about over the last week. Or you might be anxious about something else in your life. And someone's trying to talk to you, and you're not really in that place where you want to listen, and you've got all that going on in your mind, and uncharacteristically you snap. And it's not at all within your character to do that, but in that moment, when you're trying to retain control of your sanity, You just find yourself speaking to a person in a way that you wouldn't normally. And it brings tension and it brings conflict because the person might be offended that you've spoken to them in that way and you probably feel awful that you've treated a person in that way when you never normally would. But still it's happened and that togetherness, that unity, that Paul in the readings that you heard this morning calls us to is temporarily uh, broken. And this is the central concern of Paul in this section of Philippians. In fact, if you've got your Bibles open, I'm going to be referring to Philippians throughout this talk. Apologies from the start, we're not going to get anywhere near Colossians. There's too much in Philippians 2 to speak about. Um, So take that away and reflect on it yourselves. But turn to Philippians 2. And if you skip back a few verses from chapter 2 where we began into verse 27 of chapter 1. I'm using a different translation, but I'll see if I can find it very quickly indeed. Um, It says something along the lines of, I'm there, Only let your lives, whatever happens as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the ones, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel. We are, through baptism, invited to share in the life of God. And Ellen becomes part of that life today, and that's a joyous thing for us all. She becomes part of our family. And our commitment to you this morning and ongoing is that we will nurture you and support you and be here for you in whatever way is appropriate for you. And we'll encourage Ellen in the faith of Christ. And so in doing that, we try to be an outward-looking family. We try not to be insular, looking at our own needs, but looking out to others so that we can welcome them in and ever expand our community here. And the life of God is attractive, and when we model it, it attracts others. But there's a but, and there's some challenging things in our scriptures this morning, which we're just going to tackle head on, if that's okay. And the challenging thing is that we live with the reality of conflict. Paul recognises this and encourages us not to be frightened by those who oppose us. In our lives, we hurt, we fight, and sadly, sometimes we even kill. Now, that's an extreme end of the spectrum, and we're probably more familiar with the times that we hurt one another and fight one another, but it's good to call out the extremities of actions that can come from being in positions of conflict and we know, and Ian, a member of our church, prayed at the first service for the people of Syria caught up in civil war, and people are certainly losing their lives out there in that conflict. We live with the reality of conflict, and there's a danger to looking on conflict uh, as a bystander, and that danger is we look on and we say, if only that person was to say that, and only that person were to do that, then things would get a lot better. And so we take the persona of an armchair sports fan, armchair referee, saying, that was crazy, that's a ridiculous decision, referee. You know, I can't do it with any great integrity because I'm not a huge sports fan. But you get the idea. We look on and we comment on things which from afar seem simple. And again, there's a but. If you're in the situation and you're part of that conflict, or you're part of the tension between people, you know how awful it feels. And you know it's an emotionally complex um, thing that you have to deal with. When you have a fight between friends, when you have families um, who are not getting along, it's an incredibly difficult thing um, to handle. And the Bible tells us why we fight. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going into Philippians 2 and verse 3, and the first half of verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, you might not speak Greek, and you don't need to worry if you don't. um, But the Greek word here for selfish ambition means a spirit of fighting or rivalry. A spirit of fighting or rivalry. And to get to the heart of this, we need to understand that what we base our thoughts, words, and actions on is important. And I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the biggest causes of conflict in relationships and between nations is when we place our own needs front and centre rather than looking at the needs of others. When we base our thoughts, words, and actions on our needs... And and ignore others, conflict can arise. And this manifests itself in in many ways. So long as we're getting our own way, so long as our needs are being met, we we are we act well with people. We don't find ourselves in that place of conflict. And there's no spirit of rivalry. In other words, if it's all about us. We're fine. And when it's all about us, it can't all be about Jesus. And it can't all be about the people God has placed around us. Because when we look into our own lives at the exclusion of others, we stop seeing things that matter around us. So, how does this manifest itself in our lives? Let's make it real. Now, you'll know examples and situations in your own lives far better than I know of your lives. But in things like a zealous, Um, pursuit or promotion at work, at the exclusion and perhaps at the harm of others around you. Um, Self-promotion of yourself. If you're um, an ambitious person by nature and you're trying to promote yourself uh, above others, you can find yourselves criticizing others to try and get to a better place yourself. These are just a couple of examples of how the pursuit of selfish ambition, which warns us about can, can be present in our lives. And Paul warns us, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. And there's much wisdom there. It's interesting to look at sometimes the different translations of the Bible. It's a good spiritual exercise, especially if you've been a Christian for a while and you've been reading the Bible for a long time. You might find it a refreshing experience um, to put your translation aside and to pick up a new one and see how Um, the scriptures are written differently and to see whether God brings any fresh revelation there's good spiritual discipline in that but conceit in the King James version of the Bible is translated as vain glory vain glory and the Greek word being used for glory in that context is um, doxa It's the word that we use uh, when we say things like glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, When the band lead us in a song containing the word glory, it's that kind of glory. It's the glory we give to God. And it's right to give God glory because he's worthy of it. He created us and all of creation. He redeemed us and called us to him And we celebrate that no more powerfully than at baptism when people become Christians and enter the Christian family. And he purposes our lives. He gives each one of us gifts and skills and a purpose to use within the body of the church and within the wider community. So God is worthy of glory and we should glorify him. But what our TNIV Bibles, which are the ones that you see around you in your seats, translate as conceit, and what the King James Version of the Bible translates as vain glory, actually relates not to God, but to us. So let me explain. Within each one of us, there is a deep need to be loved. It's a universal thing. Some of you will be more conscious of it than others, depending on where your lives are at, But within each one of us, there is a deep, deep need to be loved. There's also a deep need to matter, to feel that you have a purpose to your life and a significance to it. And there's a need to be noticed. And I've listened to and spoken to politicians in my time um, who say that their worst fear is not having bad press in the newspapers, but not being in the newspapers at all because one of the most challenging experiences we have as human beings is to be ignored or feel we're being ignored. You might have had that heart-crushing experience of friends or family members deliberately ignoring you. And, and it's awful. It's a, and, and part of it is, is this feeling of, I'm not worthy of your attention. I'm not worthy of your value. And so we begin to feel that we don't matter, that we're insignificant. And, and our view of self becomes distorted. And the truth is that, that you do matter. You know, we, we had that quote, which I can't fully remember off the top of my head, uh, from Nicky Gumbel, but, um, you know, about your dreams mattering, your voice mattering, um, your life has purpose, you have a story to tell, you matter. And you matter because of who God created you to be. You are part of God's creation, and it's glorious. When we studied Ephesians last year, uh, we kept coming back to the refrain that said, we are chosen, called, and saved by God. And because of that, you and I matter. But when we forget this and act out of conceit or vain glory, we seek after constant affirmations of our own worth We try to gain the attention of others because we base our identity on our need to feel valued rather than recognizing and living the truth that we are loved, chosen, called, and saved by God. And friends, there's no shame in seeking the attentions of others or needing to uh, receive encouragements and affirmations at a particular point of your life. The danger comes when we constantly seek those and we base our entire lives on that experience. And the reason it's dangerous is because God has already given you an identity where you matter, where your life already has significance, where God the Father is seeking to affirm you and love you and encourage you in who he created you to be. And in the talk about ministry as loving service, we need to call out um, that the more we act out of selfish ambition or vainglory, the more we attack each other. Because we know, don't we, that when we feel we're being challenged, when things are not going as we personally would want them to be, when our territories are threatened and the things that we like to exercise control over um, are challenged, then we tend to attack. And it's very rarely about the person we're attacking, but more about a deep, deep, even subconscious level um, of self-doubt and struggle within our own lives. And because we struggle, then we lash out at others. So let's discover the solution by going back to the second half of that third verse in Philippians 2. Because I only read to you the first few words. Here's the full verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In humility, value others above yourselves. And then cast your eyes down to verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. In the Old Testament of the Bible, when the Lord presents his case against Israel in the book of Micah, and I think it's chapter 6, after listing all the things that the Lord had done to help his people, the people of Israel respond by saying things like, well, if you want um, 10,000 rivers of oil, or you want a thousand ram or, or, or cattle for your burnt offerings, then you can have them. And, and the passage concludes with um, a famous verse from the Bible, um, which which reads, um, "This is what I require of you." He has shown you, he has shown you all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Humility is the key. And our example in humility, the model we're called to follow, is that of Jesus. Humility takes us beyond ourselves and places the other front and centre before our own interests. So let's go back to verse 5, where we're invited to share in the mindset of Christ. This is about letting God change us, so that far from acting out a selfish ambition, and risking um, those qualities coming out in, in our relationships with others. That we act out of love, a desire for unity, um, and, and a common heart, and above all, a humility towards each other. And at the heart of this is not only understanding what God has done, but why he did it. <coughs> Let's look at verses 6 to 8 in Philippians 2 So in these verses, we discover that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus became human, and that Jesus became a servant of mankind, even to the extent of dying on the cross. But in these scriptures, we're also told the motivation behind these realities. So let's just pop over to Hebrews chapter 1, and in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, we find these, these wonderful words. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He came to reveal God. And if we have the same attitude of mind as Christ Jesus... Our lives need to reveal God too. In fact, if we have the same attitude of mind as Christ Jesus, our lives without any effort whatsoever will echo the life of Jesus. In our society, we often look up at people who have great power, great wealth, status, or people who because of their physical appearance are deemed to be attractive Paul is telling us that Jesus is the brightest thing that reflects God's glory, the exact representation of God. And yet, if we look at Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament, we find a picture of Jesus that we might not expect a picture of a suffering king, a suffering servant. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. And if you're not accustomed to using Bibles, then it's on page 702, um, Isaiah chapter 53. And if you've turned to it, you might just want to scan your eyes down that passage. Let me just call out some um, verses from it. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Despised, afflicted, unable to speak, It's not perhaps the picture of the Son of God that Paul gives in Hebrews when he says the Son of God is the radiance of the Father's glory. But this is Jesus, Jesus who came down from heaven to enter our experience with all our selfish ambition and vainglory and conceit, with all the relationship struggles that we have. With the hurt that we sometimes cause to others unthinkingly or even consciously, Jesus chose to come down into that experience and minister his love and grace into our lives. Love is the way God reveals himself. Love calls us to place others first. So let's have a final scripture that will perhaps set up something that Cap's going to lead us through in about 10 minutes time. Let's turn to John chapter 13. John's in the New Testament of the scriptures um, and I'll give you a page as soon as I find it myself. John chapter 13. Um, Page 1020. And here we find Jesus going round a table, stooping down and washing his disciples' feet. A powerful Experience that symbolizes love. But I don't know if, especially if you're familiar with a story and you've heard it several times over the over the years that you've been a Christian or, or that you've been familiar with the Bible. Um, I don't think sometimes we're fully aware of the reality of the situation. And in, in an amusing way, I've become uh, I, I've had a fresh insight into this scripture um, from being becoming a dad. Now Until recently, I was carrying Izzy around, and we got some young babies in church today who are joyfully being carried around, um, and it's great and joyful to see that. Um, But my daughter Izzy has learned to crawl, uh, and and I've noticed, because she refuses point blank to wear socks or shoes, um, and I've noticed that as she crawls around the garden and as she crawls around the kitchen and the carpeted areas of our house, her feet get quite grubby, And it just gave me an insight into this story that Jesus tells in John's Gospel, that in Jesus' time, you know, you didn't have freshly tarmacked surfaces and and, and dedicated pavements. You know, the, the dust would accumulate on either your bare feet or through fairly flimsy sandals. And so when Jesus, the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of God, stoops down, he stoops down to wash some pretty grubby feet, and there's that thing about loving service, isn't there? About putting the other first, where we abandon our own interests and think, oh, glory, you know, I, I can't wash his feet or her feet because they're too dirty. Jesus stoops down and washes his disciples' feet because his disciples matter, because they have significance, and because he loves them. And, and in a short while, we're going to do a symbolic act, which hopefully will help you to reflect on this passage even more, and so that you might come to know that you matter to God, that your lives have significance, and that the Jesus who washed his disciples' feet is still pouring his love into your lives today. My prayer is that as I've been speaking, you who know yourselves so well have been open to the work of the Spirit and have been letting the Spirit prompt you into issues in your lives, where you are with God, how much you matter, and the significance you have. And so, as we go back into a place of worship and sing um, some songs which help us reflect on these scriptures, and as Cath leads us in a prayer activity in a bit, my prayer is that, that you will let God work in your lives this morning and minister to you. Amen. <coughs>